Welcome to another episode of the Virtual Coffee Break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. I'm your host, Martin Mangual. Today, we continue this fifth season of the podcast with another timely topic that has begun to grab the attention of livestock producers as well as crop farmers. The topic is PFAS. What are they? How to deal with them are some of the information included in today's episode. Dr. Barry Bradford interviewed Dr. Hugh Lee from the Center for PFAS Research at Michigan State University. Barry, let's get started with today's episode. Today, I'm really pleased to welcome Dr. Huai Lee to join us to discuss a little bit about PFAS. Dr. Lee, thank you for taking time to talk with us today. Could you start out by just giving us a little bit of your background and talk about what your areas of expertise are and, and where you're focusing your research right now? Oh, yes. Uh, thank you, uh, Brad, for the, for the invitation. First, I introduce myself. I'm a professor of environmental soil chemistry at the Michigan State University. My expertise is absorption and environmental fate of organic contaminants in the soil, water, and plant systems. And my current research program focuses on the PFAS, like the PFAS in biosolids, plant uptake of PFAS from soil and develop a mitigation strategy to uh for the PFAS, reduce their uptake by the crops. Great, thank you. Okay, so a lot of us have heard about PFAS in the news. We've you know seen it in the headlines, but I think probably don't have a strong understanding of exactly what we're talking about. So can you define PFAS and tell us a little bit about what these chemicals are and what they're used for? Sure. The PFAS stands for a class of the chemicals that are called the per and the polyfluoroalkyl substances. Okay. Currently, they said, you know, that's a more than 9,000 type of PFAS chemicals have been used, you know, by the humans. And the most, many of these chemicals could be released into the environment. This is a spe very special uh, class of chemicals. They're very persistent in the environment. They're commonly used like for many purposes. For example, they're using uh, firefighting foams, surfactants, coatings, food packaging, cosmetics, and many, many other uses. So I will say they are widely used and have been uh, frequently found in the environment. Yeah, I think it's probably surprising to a lot of us that there is 9,000 different chemicals in this class that we talk about as a whole. So that obviously would make things challenging for an environmental uh, chemist like yourself to sort of just ask a question is, you know, are there PFAS in a soil sample or something? So can you tell us a little bit about what kinds of concentrations of these compounds can be detected and maybe fill us in a little bit about what kinds of concentrations might be of concern for human health or animal health? Oh yeah, uh, sure. Uh, it's kind of interesting because with the advance of the science, I know chemistry can develop very advanced and sensitive equipment to uh, detect these chemicals. 
we can detect the, the concentration at a very, very low level. For example, we can reach the less than parts per trillion wow. level. But, you know, for this concentration, we can detect this, not the lasers remaining they're toxic. Right. So uh, sometimes a lower concentration, uh, you know, may not cause a toxic effect, but some research uh, did show for some high concentration of PFAS that can cause the health issues to the human and the animals. Okay. So certainly, at least at some level, these are a concern for health, and it's there's a reason that people are talking about this, right? So you know, this this has become a bigger issue in the news, but I think probably there's a lack of information on, you know, where's this contamination coming from? If it's in the environment, what's the the source of some of the PFAS? You said it's used in many products, but where is it getting into the environment? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, in general, there you know we think about the multiple pathways for these chemicals to get into the environment. For example, manufacturing and so on. But uh, in current research, we focus on most of two uh, pathways. One is the use fire fighting foams. Okay. These uh, foams contain a high concentration of PFAS. So application of these foams can cause the, the local contamination or high concentration. The another one is uh, land application of biosolids. That's mostly related to agricultural production because of the land application of biosolids. So, uh, you know, uh, for the agricultural production, in fact, the land application of biosolids is beneficial because it's uh, could be good for the sustainable agricultural production. For example, can improve soil quality, provide nutrients for crops, also provide some convenient treatment for the biosolids. However, you know, the biosolids might contain some uh, low level of PFAS. So this could get a very low level of the PFAS into agriculture environment, but not all the not all the biosolids. Some probably will bring some PFAS into the agriculture environment, and the potential risk for the land application of biosolids is still not clear. So our EPA uh current EPA funded project is trying to answer this question to see how much of PFAS in the biosolids, then what the potential risk. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So let's say in an example where um, a farm has been exposed to um, firefighting foam like near an airport or has used biosolids that maybe unknown at the time introduced PFAS into the soil. So we've got soil contamination of PFAS. What do we know about what happens to it then? Is it is it likely to stay around in the soil for a long time? And does it leach into groundwater? What do we know? Uh, yes, that's a, a interesting question. First, the PFAS are the uh, very persistent of organic chemicals. Once they get in the soil, they will stay in the soil for a very, very long time. Then uh, as I mentioned that there are about thousands of PFAS applied that potentially through the biosolids or uh, firefighting foams get into the soil. 
then a different uh, chemicals will have a different property. For example, some are uh, strongly dissolved PFAS, they will probably stay in the soil. For some uh, weakly dissolved PFAS, they could leach into the groundwater or release to the surface runoff, or even uh, 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 can get into the plant, for example, some uh, feed crops. Right. Okay. And that, that certainly, you know, for livestock um, clientele, that's certainly one of the top questions that would be, you know, if there is some PFAS in the soil, do we know anything about agronomic practices or anything that can be done to influence whether the PFAS actually ends up in a crop that an animal or a human would eat? Uh, this is a possible pathway, for example, if you get uh, some uh, certain concentration of PFAS in the soil, they could get into the uh, crops, then uh, can get into animal. Our, uh, but still there are lots of unknowns there. So our uh, USDA fund project is try to uh, identify some uh, soil, what we call soil amendment to uh, minimize the plant uptake. So uh, this still, we are doing some research on this uh, topic. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, certainly, we're, we're trying to get to the point of helping individual farm owners, you know, think about this emerging topic, um, how it needs to influence their decision-making processes, what they should do to try to mitigate any risk to them or consumers, you know, eating food produced on their farm. Um, are there particular types of farms or, or um, considerations for helping a farm think about whether they might need to focus on this more than others? You mentioned biosolids application, for example. Yeah, uh, as a environmental chemist, uh, my advice is most from the perspective of environmental quality. Right. So my advice to the farmers is when these issues come out, first the check, like it's farm once received any land application of biosolids. If yes, try to find out the history of the land application and also which uh, utility provides the biosolids. In addition to that, if like, uh, uh, like the livestock feeds are from other sources, you might want to know which farm produces these feeds. And they also received the biosolids before to their farmland. These are some uh, advice I uh, can provide from the environmental quality perspective. Sure, that's helpful. Thank you. Myself and my colleagues are out there to help you know producers to deal with new problems and and be the connection point. Although we may not have the expertise ourselves, so for anybody listening to this, you know, feel free to contact someone on our team and we'll work with you to, to work on anything that you want to tackle in this topic. So again, Dr. Lee, thank you so much for your time. Um, good luck on your ongoing research on this. I hope you find some you know, major discoveries about how to best handle this uh, emerging topic. And um, again, uh, your insights are helpful. So thank you. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Dr. Bradford and Dr. Lee for the discussion today. As mentioned in the episode, we are working to learn more regarding PFAS so we can develop and provide tools
to work with these issues when they arrive on farms across the state. For questions or more information, feel free to reach to the Center for PFAS Research at MSU by emailing pfas at msu.edu. Again, that's pfas at msu.edu. Or you can also search their website at canr.msu.edu slash PFAS hyphen research to learn and get more information regarding these issues on farm. Join us next week when educator Marianne Morosky will interview Dr. Madonna Benjamin. They will talk and discuss proper euthanasia methods that can be used on operating farms. I hope you'll join us then.